for me, you know, design matters, like literally. And I want to use the, the passion that I have for this profession. I want to use it for good, which makes it interesting because I, I, I know I'm in a domain where there's a lot of a lot of attention surfacing on, on the manipulation of data, the dark patterns that are emerging that put people into a sales funnel or, or all those things. Uh, I feel I'm at the right location to, to either speak about that or try and prevent that. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk to Mario van der Moel, doing UX India in Hyderabad. Mario is a consultant, author and speaker, as well as facilitator of innovation, gaining experience in different countries, especially Asia, for example at companies such as Foolproof or Frogdesign. He recently wrote an excellent book on innovation called Counterintuitivity. Which methods around redirecting your assumptions is, from my point of view, one of the best methods to create breakthroughs and fresh thinking. The quality of your conversations is equal to the quality of your design, to quote Mario. Episode full of interesting insights on innovation and new thinking. So, enjoy. How are you doing? Hey. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk to you. So we are here at UX India and you just launched your book. I did. But maybe we, before we dive into the, the book, it could be really interesting to understand a little bit of your context, your background, mm. and you're quite experienced in working in all kind of different countries. So mm -hmm. we can you know, dive into that just a little bit before we uh, tap into the book. So uh, what's, your, what's your background? What are some of your... Yeah, so I, I'm known to introduce myself as a graphic designosaurus. That's because I graduated before computers ruled the world. So my, my first jobs were doing things by hand. I, I spray glued layout pages for mail order catalogs way back in time. But I've also been fortunate to, to be at the very early pioneering days of, of digital interactions, mm -hmm. which at the time didn't have that name. But I remember that in, in I believe it was 1995, I was designing one of the first e-commerce websites in Belgium. Mm -hmm. I'm originally from Belgium. Mm -hmm. With not much thought or strategy or idea what this actually was about, this internet e-commerce mm -hmm. thing, but we knew it was possible. And so I've, I've, I've very early on touched on, on these digital and, and technology subjects, be it that I believe my, my red line in my career has always been branding, brand marketing, and, and a degree of shopper centricity, mm -hmm. uh, people purchasing your product. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for a while. Uh, <laughs> I've had a few years where I did that career in, in Belgium, but I had the opportunity to relocate to Asia in 2000. Mm -hmm. I moved to Shanghai, joined a, a big 4A agency, an advertising agency that was expanding its service offer to, to offer things like you know, what they call below the line marketing, mm -hmm. which entailed websites, e-commerce websites, packaging, you know, all those things. Yeah, and I haven't been back to Europe since. I've, I, I, still, I still live in Asia now. I've, I've lived in China for 13, 14 years before relocating to Singapore, where I currently am. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I now work as a principal designer for an experience, uh, experience design company called Foolproof. Mm -hmm. And our mission there is that, um, and my role there is that I use creativity and, and insights that are evidence-based mm -hmm. with the purpose of improving the lives of, of people. 
which gives it a nice little range. Uh, I, I work on things that are very transactional in, in, in digital journeys, but I'll also have a look at organizational design and, and, and service design. That permission to work where you improve the lives of people means I can work in, in very broad spectrums and on very different things. Mm-hmm. And it's a quite rewarding feeling, right? As well it as, is. Uh, For me, you know, design matters. Like literally, and I want to use the, the passion that I have for this profession, I want to use it for good, which makes it interesting because I, I, I know I'm in a domain where there's a lot of, a lot of attention surfacing on, on the manipulation of data, the dark patterns that are emerging that put people into a sales funnel or, or all those things. Uh, I feel I'm at the right location to, to either speak about that or try and prevent that. Mm-hmm. Do you, is there one project that comes into your mind where you 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 had the feeling you know design you know had a really big impact you know doing something good for people something that's on top of your head? Yeah, I would. What immediately came to mind was a healthcare project that we worked on, I believe, a year ago, where the ambition of and I'm under NDA, so I can't actually name yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the ambition sure. of this company, this was a pharmaceutical group that. I could say specializes in long-term illnesses, long-term diseases, mm-hmm. chronic diseases. And they had identified that, that one of those diseases that got underserved and uh, was misunderstood in Asia is bone health, which is completely preventable. But you have to do it at the right point in time. If you're in your 30s and 40s and you make the right lifestyle choices, bone health will not be an issue for you. But in Asia, this is seen as, well, you're old. It's, it's an old people thing. Mm-hmm. And you had that interesting dilemma where once you have bone health, yeah, you cannot really fix that anymore. You just have to manage that disease. So can we do something based on insights, based on, uh, on, on, on understanding your user and, and the systems that are involved? Can we design something that can help prevent that from happening? Can we, can we surface something early on in people's lives that is a call of attention to change your habits and lower your risk for chronic disease that is completely preventable. And, and the way we approached that design was to, to understand just a holistic system of healthcare, all the stakeholders involved, and, and how can you kind of interpolate all these different data points to signal ahead of time that you might be at risk for this disease? And then what do you do about it? Most of that work, most of that design is sort of invisible. Because mm-hmm. when you see the end product of it, you're probably going to say, well, yeah, that was straightforward. Mm-hmm. And it's basically an inference engine that, that interpolates different health data points to guesstimate what your trajectory is in the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. But coming to that design solution was a beautiful journey because mm-hmm. it had to stretch the entire range of how you believe design should be done. Mm-hmm. Right. You meet the people with the disease. You meet the people that are taking care of those with you know, osteoporosis, the nurses, the, the, the staff in hospitals. We really felt that we could design both the journey for this pharmaceutical brand to understand what it is that they are doing mm-hmm. and why they should do it, as well as design the outcome of it, a digital solution that, that empowers healthcare professionals to, to do early diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. What's also interesting is you've been also a you know, frog yes. right? in, in Shanghai. How was, how was that? Oh, my God. That was um, 
I need to share that prior to me joining Frog, I ran my own design studio in Shanghai. So I was kind of master of my own domain, <laughs> the tip of the pyramid there. And then that then was you, after the marketing uh, company, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So um, your own studio, and then I started my own studio after then, after doing agencies for a bit. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was really comfortable there because you know everything was in my control. Mm-hmm. I was, as I said, the master of my domain. Mm-hmm. And then joining a firm again, and especially a firm like Frog, you're not only among peers, you're also among people that you aspire to be. And so emotionally for me and, and, and mentally for me, this, this needed a really quick change in my approach and my attitude and in, in the, the way I operate as a designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to become much more collaborative. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you run your own studio, as I said, you're, you're the... You're the man in the chair. Just cooperating and coordinating is enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that won't cut it. In in firms like 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 Frog, mm-hmm. you you have to bring your your not only your value, you have to meet other people's expectations as well. Mm-hmm. And and that can only be done by collaborating. Mm-hmm. It was both a bit a, a push into the deep end of the pool and see if I could swim. But I also felt, or at least my experience in this was that I felt I could also offer a unique perspective and a, a unique value to their processes. Mm-hmm. I was I was very much brand centric. Mm-hmm. So the way I could see technology and and how I could see the story of technology playing a role in brand values, I believed at that time was was what Frog could really use so that they became more than just a technology firm. Mm-hmm. We had success with that where Because you bring a language to your clients that that starts to sound more familiar than than a language around technology and coding that is probably very alien for them, and I could kind of bridge that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, this was very enriching for myself as a professional because I worked with people like Jan Chipchase, who literally wrote the book on design research, mm-hmm. on ethnography, on uh, doing all these new amazing techniques and methodologies to get closer to what it means to design for for human beings. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. I would like to talk a little bit about the book you are writing. My book, here. yes. <laughs> uh, it's called Counterintuitivity. Yes. Making Meaningful Innovation. So maybe you can give a little bit of overview of you know, what this book is all about. Right. So... This could be a long story. This could be a short story. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to balance which one I'll throw at you. Yeah. I had no big plan or intent to ever write a book. I guess the sparking moment came when one of the designers that I'm a mentor to and I'm, I'm quite close to, at one of our conversations, he just called that out. Like, look, you need to write a book about how you think, how you see things, how you approach these things. You're going to help people. I've heard that kind of before but it never really landed with me mm-hmm. except when 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 Zeke mentioned that it did it really landed with me and I felt that it was time to do this why because I started to recognize that as I shared earlier I'm a graduated graphic designer and I'm I'm doing a kind of job I was never trained for the type of work I do now wasn't even envisioned when I graduated so what made me survive in this industry? What 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 is it that I found out of either doing or or adjusting that still has me see do a, a really important role in design? And that was both by doing what I felt intuitively came to me, but it was more by doing the opposite. If it felt intuitive to me, I took time to kind of flip that upside down and went mm-hmm. against my intuition. 
the projects and the connections I have with clients and with other professionals, they always felt stronger and more meaningful if we did things that that felt a bit unsure and, mm-hmm. and a bit counterintuitively. Before I wrote the book, I was a speaker and I brought this topic many times to different conferences. There was a lot of attention that was given to me, which which is which is great, right? Getting that attention in a room full of people, that, that's a powerful feeling. Mm-hmm. And I felt it was time that that I pointed out to professionals, to practitioners, that it's not just about getting attention. We also need to start paying attention about how we do these things. We are literally not just changing what we do, we are changing who people are mm-hmm. by decisions that we make and in things that we take for granted, right? You you swipe left for people that you want to ignore and cut out of your life, and you have no accountability for that. I can order my food at any given point in the day. I don't have to say please. I don't have to say thank you. We are changing human behavior that way. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, but mm-hmm. are we aware that that's actually are what's we actually going aware on? Of this, right? Yeah. Are are we are we aware of that? Have we have we paused and reflected on that? We are establishing all these patterns because we predict what will happen, which is a human thing to do. But the more we establish the patterns, the patterns will start to shape us. There's that famous quote by Winston Churchill, right? You, we first shape the building. Thereafter, the building shapes us. Our behavior becomes patternized. For me, that sits against the whole, the whole unfolding process of, of true innovation, mm-hmm. where you should work with unknowns and things that are seemingly unreasonable. If something is seemingly unreasonable to you, it's probably new. It's probably worth spending some time with. But we're in that culture where if it's unreasonable, we just ride it off, right? We, we want to do what's in our control. We want to do what, what seems intuitively right. And, and my book kind of unpacks that. It does that by first kind of breaking down what innovation actually is. And I'm aware that this is, um, this is like a buzzword, right? But it's a lazy buzzword. If anything is slightly new, we call it innovation. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's iteration of a really good idea, but then it's still that same idea. It's not new. So I break that down a bit. I, I then also point out what the role of design is in my point of view. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I bring up my personal pet peeve, which is everyone's favorite Venn diagram. Right, the three circles, and then we put ourselves in the middle. And and that came to me only recently. I was I was I was preparing to help this brand do a digital transformation, and I was working with the Venn diagram that we have on hand. I think every consultancy has that Venn diagram. Uh, <laughs> I was putting in a slide, and I was suddenly struck by the arrogance that that had. Like, why do we think design sits in the middle of everything? Why do we think everything revolves around us? Mm-hmm. It kind of, it really doesn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. We are part of a system that revolves around other things, but we are not central to that system. And so the parallel I'll draw in the book is that often designers, we kind of belittle our clients because we think that these, these are people that think the world is still flat and we've evolved. We know that the world is round and that all the heavenly bodies revolve around us, right? So yes, we have a more evolved view, but we don't have the correct for you either. We still think that everything revolves around us. I think that's the wrong approach to take. If you design out of authority, I think you're down the wrong path. There are people that are successful with that. Don't get me wrong. There are the rock star designers. They really hold something valuable in terms of vision or, or, or application. 
I admire that, but it's not my thing. I believe I don't design out of authority. I design out of a belief, out of out of conviction. And that takes a different approach. That takes a more humble approach. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, where I want to bring readers to in this book is to understand that if your desire is to do human-centric design, then it starts with you. You're the human that starts that process. Mm-hmm. So have you understood who you are as the human? And have you understood who you are working with, those other human beings? Because if that human centricity is not there at the beginning, it won't be there at the end. If you don't design with the right kind of empathy, with the right emotional values, well, whatever it is you design won't have it. The gift will not be given. That's the attention that I call or would like to call out. Can we pay attention to us, the humans that are designing for other humans? Mm-hmm. Super interesting. On the workshop yesterday, I was talking on going from assumptions to provocations. Yes. To concepts, so lateral uh, thinking methods. Is that also a part of you know, some of it the is. thinking? It is. Um, you and I ran a workshop at, at, at parallel times, mm-hmm. and I have exercises around assumptions mm-hmm. uh, as well, and, and something that I call the background of obviousness. Mm-hmm. And to illustrate that, I usually tell the, the, the story of you have two young fish swimming in the river, and an older fish swims from the opposite direction and goes, hey, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish just nod and keep swimming. And and about like 30 seconds later, one of them asks, what the hell is water? Mm -hmm. It's the background of obviousness. Mm -hmm. I'll loop this to the quality of our communication because that's another message that I really want to land with people. The quality of your conversations is equal to the quality of the design. If if, If your conversations are not that great, your outcome will likely not be that great. Mm-hmm. So if you don't spend time calibrating your, your communications within the group of people that is designing, yeah, you're going to work with assumptions, with different layers of obviousness, mm-hmm. and everyone will have a different understanding or a different meaning or, or a different thought about what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. They may not be engaged. Uh, they may not get what it is that we're, we're doing as a big picture thing. That's a problem because that will show again in that outcome. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, I, the book here too, because we're asking to go counterintuitive, it's going against your assumptions, mm-hmm. going against your assessments and questioning that, which often brings about, yeah, more richer, more deeper thinking. It's not always possible to go down these routes, but I believe that... It also depends on the project scope, right? Exactly. But I believe it's still our role... I believe it's still our role to bring that awareness. Experiences, they're not linear. We design them as a linear journey, but we don't experience things in a linear line. That doesn't happen. We're very precious as as UXers to defend our best practice. Our best practice does not happen in reality. It happens in isolation. And and, um, I understand this is important that our practices and our methodologies need to be sharp and accurate and provable, but they are isolated cases that make us look really good. Mm-hmm. It may not apply for that client that we work with. Mm-hmm. So you'll have these very practical boundaries on your projects where you believe your methodology demands a six-month engagement with this client, and uh, here's the CEO saying, I want it in a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 your values, your what you think is important to prove doesn't match the reality of, of this project. So now what do you do? Mm-hmm. 
your choice will probably be you do it in 30 days and you compromise <laughs> while still bringing the awareness to people that there is a bigger picture, there's a bigger play. One, one of the advices I will give here is that I, as a designer, I've stopped promising my clients solutions. I will not be confident enough to say that I've solved something indefinitely. Whatever, whatever is presented as a... thing to do, also. Yes, so far I've been able to land that with clients, uh, knock on wood, but things are moving so fast that we can work with grounded confidence on our insights, but I will signal to my clients that there, there will be stuff emerging that, that yeah. we have not designed for, and that is okay. <laughs> if, we can, if we can hit the criteria that we think was important today, let's then look what, what happens tomorrow and, and see if it's worth adjusting to that. But I bring that, again, I bring that awareness, I bring that conversation. I don't hide behind, no, no, this, this is what we have solved. We're done. Well, this job is never done. Design will never be done. Mm. And we're in that era where things are changing so fast. Tools are released daily. New possibilities happen every time. That kind of emergent, unexpected result of your design action is just going to accelerate. So I believe it's time, again, that, that by being ready to go against your intuition, against the data, or flipping things upside down, is just going to help you prepare to be a better designer and, mm -hmm. and have the right conversations with people that haven't seen it or haven't planned for it. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Maybe we could finish with, because you, you're outlining nine principles of counterintuitivity. Yes. Maybe you can, do you have, I don't know, if you have a favorite Of, of, of the nine you can um, maybe tell that and maybe why a favorite so yes my book I'll, I'll do a bit of marketing here my book has nine principles to to work more counterintuitively wow that was a difficult word <laughs> so there are nine principles in the book that help us work with with more counterintuitivity I have three bonus ones on my website just to give you a taste of what that is <laughs> Is there a favorite one that I have? I think I'm going to go with Dare to be Ugly. Because it's, it's usually, it's that one and Remaining Complete. Those are the two, if I present at a conference, those are the two that usually provoke questions with the audience. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, what did you just say? Dare to be Ugly? Dare to be Ugly is about truly understanding who you are as a human being. Even if it doesn't adhere particular patterns or particular expectation levels. It is okay. You have rough edges. You are imperfect. You do not know all the answers. You're not even supposed to know all the answers. It is fine. If you can project that you have comfort in who you are all the time on purpose, regardless of circumstances, you're going to allow other people to do that as well. And that's what I believe is true authenticity. I feel that right now, our, our, our day and age with social media, authenticity is being recontextualized to being superficial you see you see something nice on instagram and then you replicate that photo uh, because mm -hmm. you feel it is you as well it is mm -hmm. your true self but that's just the attention algorithms you try to get and you end up sharing the life that you think you must have not the life that you actually have mm -hmm. and the concern i have is that that very human elements like like fear and doubt and failure and anxiety that's disappearing from online identities And that's just, I'm, I'm worried about the halo effect that that will have, that we have new generations of people coming up that don't dare to fail, that don't deal with their fears or their doubts, because they just don't see it happen anymore. It's actually in fears and doubts and, and, and failures that the learning can happen. Yeah.
it's uncomfortable yeah sure but that is learning learning is uncomfortable again if we're if if we as design leaders embrace that and dare to be then we allow other people to do that as well and as such find more meaning in what it is that we do Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Thank you. Sir. I'm really looking forward to reading the book. Thank you. It's very kind. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.